Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. That's what we're going to get started with this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. If you want to open up and follow along, if you're someone who likes to have a a paper copy right there in front of you, um, that's definitely me most of the time. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. Last week we left off at verse 11, um, if you remember, right after Paul named um, just a whole list, right, of spiritual gifts. Um, that are present in the body of Christ and at the body of Christ, specifically at the church of Corinth. And that's where we pick up this morning, right after that list of spiritual gifts, starting at verse 12. It says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized in one body, I want to make sure that this matches. Okay. Um, where was I at? We were all baptized in one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the bodies that we think less honorable, we we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Like I said, that's a It's a big chunk, right? It's a lot of scripture this morning, uh, and we're going to dive right into it. Usually I'd start with a lot of review, but we don't have time for that. (laughs) Uh, We've got a lot to get through. But the concept here is really very simple. And I think sometimes as humans, we have a tendency to overcomplicate things a little bit and, and make things more than what they're meant to be. And this is really very simple. And what Paul is getting at is very simple. Within the body of Christ, there is meant to be unity within diversity. Right? Within the body of Christ, there is meant to be unity within diversity. For as the body is one and has many parts, 
and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. Right? Paul's about to launch into one of the, one of the greatest sermon illustrations of, of all time. It's one that obviously he used, and it's one that probably hundreds, if not thousands of pastors have used throughout the centuries. But as we get there, Paul's starting out with this main idea that we need to seek unity within diversity. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Paul uh, was writing to the, this Corinthian church, which was obsessed with the dramatic and the supernatural. And for them, it was likely easy to see that experience exclusively minimizing uh, the legitimacy and the benefit of any other spiritual experience. Right? They, they saw that if it wasn't dramatic and if it wasn't supernatural, that it didn't have benefit. And I love what, what Richard Pratt Jr. had to say in the Holman New Testament commentary this week. In the modern fragmented church, many people consider diversity to be an obstacle to be overcome in the quest for unity. But from Paul's perspective, unity was sought in the spirit, not in uniformity. The church's fullness and ability to function properly depend on its diverse manifestations of the Spirit. The church's fullness and ability to function properly depend upon its diverse manifestations of the Spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't just add to it. It's not just an extra texture. It depends on those diverse manifestations. If you look back at verse 7, you'll see that it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And the word manifestation is, is really important. It means that it's an expression or an exhibition. So if you reword that verse a little bit, it might read as, to each is given an expression of God, an exhibition of who He is for the benefit of all. Sometimes it feels as if we, we tolerate certain gifts more than we appreciate or we value them. But the fullness of God is expressed in the church through diversity of gifts. And it's used as one to complete God's singular mission to go out into the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that He's commanded. Right? Let's keep moving. Verse 13 for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink one spirit. This idea of being baptized with the spirit into one body is, is an important one, and it's likely that Paul was teaching against the idea that the Corinthian believers believed that they had to have a second baptism or a second filling in order of the spirit in order to be saved. Right? They... they Paul, if you think about all of his writings, um, a lot of his letters to the churches were spent confronting false teachings that wanted to add something to the gospel. And this is another one of those things that people wanted to add to the gospels. If you didn't speak in tongues, if you couldn't do healings, if you couldn't do these supernatural things, if you weren't experiencing a second feeling, then you weren't saved. And if you look at the other six times that this expression baptized in or, or by the Spirit, if you look them up, where they occur, you'll notice that 
they're in reference to John the Baptist's prophecy about Christ, that he would baptize not by water alone, but with or in the Holy Spirit. And that prophecy was fulfilled at Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, when the Holy Spirit rushed into the upper room where the disciples were gathered, waiting for the gift that Christ would send. So what Paul's talking about here is, it's not our baptism by water, although we are all baptized in that same baptism. That's, that's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not a second filling by the Spirit, but it's that initial immersion of the believer into the realm of the Spirit at conversion. Right? When we put our faith in Christ, we're immediately filled by the Holy Spirit. That's not something that you have to wait on. It's not something that you have to pray for over and over and over again. It's something that happens right at conversion. And as we mature in our relationship with Christ, we begin to recognize, to see, to understand the way that God has gifted us with our spiritual gifts. As we mature, we may see those things working out of us in different ways or more powerfully because we're understanding the way that God is working in us. But at conversion, even if we have nothing else in common, we have the Spirit in common. As Warren Wiersbe says, to be baptized by the Spirit means that we belong to Christ's body, to be filled with the Spirit means that our bodies belong to Christ. And to be baptized by the Spirit means that we belong to Christ's body, the church. To, to be filled with the Spirit means that our bodies belong to Christ. At conversion, we put our faith in Christ. We become a member of the body, the church. Right? Not even just a member of the church here at First Baptist, but a, church of, a member of the church universal and we give dominion of our life over to Christ. Then starting at verse 14, Paul launches into this, this great illustration, right? This illustration of the body and its workings. And it, it makes a lot of sense because we all have body parts. <laughs> we all understand what hands do and what eyes do and what ears do. So it makes a lot of sense. Of course, the ear is not an eye and a nose is not a foot. And if the body was only a foot or only an eye, well, then it would just be an organ, right? But the body of Christ is an organism and a complex one at that, not just an organ. The body of Christ is an organism, not just an organ. The heart, the brain, the pancreas, the liver, the lungs, they're all organs, right? None of them are capable of sustaining life apart from each other. But when you begin bringing all of those pieces together, they begin working in unison to provide life. The illustration of the body communicates three primary points that I want to talk about this morning. The first one is simple. We need each other. We need each other. That's the first thing. We need each other. Verse 15 through 16 and 21 say, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, I do not belong to the body, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor 
again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Every part of the body is necessary. The hands to work, the feet to move around, the heart to pump blood, eyes to see, lungs to, to pump oxygen in and carbon dioxide out, and the list could go on and on, right? Every part of the human body has a purpose. Humans, in some ways, and this is, this is a good thing, have in some ways found ways around parts of our body that are imperfect, right? And that, that's a good thing, right? The invention of wheelchairs, electric wheelchairs, empowers those who would generally be more limited, it empowers them to be more independent. Glasses, a lot of us have those. Uh, they help us to, with sight deficiencies to see better. The problem is we can't just work around parts of the body of Christ. Every part is necessary. And I fear that the church, either out of fear or out of ignorance, has stifled certain gifts like evangelism, miracles, healing, tongues, maybe even mercy at times, and replaced them with an extra helping of other gifts like teaching, exhortation, hospitality, and leadership. And we've hoped that it would be enough to keep the church moving forward strong. And I think if you look at the state of the church across especially America, we're beginning to see the effects of what happens when you lean only into certain parts of the body and neglect others. Right, more than 60% of Wexford County is considered religi religiously unaffiliated. Right? And of the remainder... 30 some odd percent that's not necessarily all Christians that's just religiously affiliated so it's reasonable to say that less than 25% of Wexford County find themselves in a church or are probably even watching church virtually on any given Sunday we can't see that number and pretend that there's not some sort of problem and the one of the questions that I believe we should be asking is if we're empowering the Christians around us to utilize their gifts, right, therefore manifesting the fullness of Christ through his body, the church, would more people see the fullness of God and respond in faith? And let me read that question again because I know there's a few parts there. If we were empowering Christians around us to utilize their gifts, Therefore, manifesting the fullness of Christ through his body, the church, would more people see the fullness of God and respond in faith? I don't know the answer to that question, you know, definitively beyond a shadow of a doubt, because not everybody is going to put their faith in Christ. That's just the fact of the matter. But I suspect there is a correlation there that while we're not empowering everybody to use their gifts, people are missing out on a glimpse of who God is for the people that are being neglected in one way or another. The second idea that this illustration of the body communicates to, to us is that we're different, right? And not only is it okay that we're different, it's by design. Right, let me say that again. It's not only is it okay that we're different, it's by design. It's intentional. 
Let me give you a couple of reasons that it's important to understand that our differences are by design. The first one is that there are some gifts that seem more sought after or valued in the church. I don't think that's something that anyone would dispute, right? There are certain gifts that are, are more on display, certain gifts um, that are more behind the scenes, some that are, are more applauded, and some that at times go completely unacknowledged. But they're all equal in value, and they're all equally necessary. Right? It's, it's a part of our human weakness that inevitably some people feel valued and others don't. But here's that point. All gifts have value because God created them for a purpose. All gifts have value because God created them for a purpose. Whether we do a good a job acknowledging that or not, it doesn't change the fact that it's true that all gifts have value and God created them for a purpose. The second thing is we shouldn't show favoritism. Right, the book of James confronts favoritism head on, and he's, he's talking specifically about uh, rich and poor, but it's applicable here too. In verse 13, Paul said, we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. Jews and Greeks and slave and free really isn't a comparison that we probably resonate with super well. <laughs> That's just not our culture right now. But maybe something else would hit closer to home right now, right? Right wing or left wing, emotional or intellectual, legal citizen or illegal immigrant, blue collar or white collar, traditional versus contemporary, Right, there's all these different things that we sometimes allow to divide us. But as Christians, we're all meant to be unified by one spirit. And we're created different by design. To say that we tolerate a certain type of person um, or, or a person who uses their gifts in a certain way is kind of like saying, I really, I love most of God, right? I love most of who God is, but there's this one part that I just kind of tolerate. I'm, I'm just okay with this because I love the rest of who God is. But that's, that's a problem, right? The first reason to know our differences is by design is, is because all gifts have a value. The second we shouldn't show favoritism because to neglect or just tolerate certain gifts is to neglect or just tolerate certain aspects of God. And third is, is the concept of design itself. A design represents something intentional. It's generally multiple pieces that are coming together to create a whole, to generate a specific outcome. To deny that certain gifts exist or to neglect their use is to circumvent the process that God has created within the body to achieve his purposes in the kingdom of God. I remember a time in band in high school, uh, a few of us, including myself, had gotten a bit big-headed and full of ourselves. <laughs> we thought we were, you know, God's gift to the Parchment High School band and we were really good. Um, and we had this thing that was called festival. 
I think they still do band festivals where uh, you practice all your concert parts and then you go to another school and all the schools come and it's basically like a competition um, and the judges judge you and after you go you get your scores but you also get comments on your performance in a recording and I remember in one specific part afterwards listening to our comments in the recording going oh I cannot wait till he gets to that part that I made up it's awesome it's gonna be so good and as we got there anticipating that affirmation from the judges instead of the comment uh, that I was expecting what he said was something along the lines of hey cool marimba part but you're covering up what the flutes are doing right now and it's more important I was like, ooh, ouch, right? Surprise, surprise, the, compos the composer of that piece had a design. He had a plan, he had a structure, and the flutes were building the foundation at that moment. I was trying to put the windows up before the frame was there, you know? God has designed the church, right? He's not, he's not just made the church or thrown it together but he's designed it to function properly. The diversity of our gifts aren't just a little texture. They're not just a little extra. They're not just paint on the walls. They're a crucial part of the organism that is the body of Christ. And the third idea that Paul is articulating through this illustration is found in verses 22 through 26. We're supposed to care for one another. We are supposed to care for one another. <laughs> Sometimes we do that wonderfully, and at other times, not so well. As different parts of the same body, we're meant to support each other and to contribute to the other person's benefit. Whereas verse 7 said, the common good. In the second half of verse 44 and 25, it says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And we're meant to look to each other with the same care that God looked at us when creating us. Sometimes, I know this is a challenge for me, and I'm, I would imagine probably not just me, uh, but I'll be the first to admit that sometimes certain people rub me the wrong way. You know, they constantly do things that, that are my pet peeves and it gets on my nerves, or it's just somebody who I deeply disagree with on things I believe are important, which can sometimes make it harder to truly care for that person, right? Any, come on, anybody else been there? Okay, good. Glad I'm not alone. That would be awkward. I know for me, the quickest way to put myself back in my place is to remind myself that God created them. He gave them that personality. He gave them the qualities that make them who they are for a specific purpose. Just like he made me for a specific purpose, and I'm not everybody's cup of tea either. So if I need to step back and try to look at them through God's perspective, that's what I need to do. When you think about it, that's love, isn't it? Isn't that what love is supposed to be? 
to look beyond what we see of a person to what God created that person to be and to do everything that we can to empower or to encourage that person to fulfill the purpose that God created them to be. Verse 26 talks about suffering when one member suffers and rejoicing together when one member is honored. Something that modern science has come to understand um, better than what the writers of the Bible would have likely understood was that the body itself is is a psychosomatic whole, which means that the way our bodies and minds work together um, are intricately intertwined. Our minds and bodies, the physical body, work together. There's psychosomatic disorders um, or diseases where certain influences of the mind can actually have a negative impact on physical health. Right? Mental trauma, high stress, low self-worth, they can all lead to a poorer physical condition. My roommate and I in college, we used to say, we're never going to get sick because we don't believe in getting sick. <laughs> uh, we got sick. <laughs> Saying you're not going to get sick doesn't necessarily keep you healthy, but it can contribute to a stronger physical response to illness. We got sick, but we didn't get sick a lot. (laughs) The body of Christ is very similar. We function together as one unit. When one part of the body suffers, we should experience that as a whole. It shouldn't be one person suffering on their own. When one party of the body is honored, that should be cause for rejoicing. Sometimes we let pride stand in the way of that. Sometimes we let empathy stand in the way of that. Sometimes it's an issue of priorities. Maybe failing to see the value in in the person who's suffering or the value in the person that's being honored. Right? Sometimes it's jealousy that gets in our way. And I think that's something that we should all ask ourselves in situations where we have an opportunity to respond to the body of Christ but we fail to honor it, why? What is it that's keeping us from honoring the body of Christ in that moment? If the body of Christ has so much to gain from functioning together as one unit, what prevents us from going out of our way for the parts that are struggling? Plato pointed out that we don't generally say, my finger has a pain. We say, I hurt. <laughs> when our finger hurts, our brain is able to single out where that, brain, where that pain is coming from, but it doesn't shut off that feeling. The body experiences it together. If we as individuals get to the point where we're able to close ourselves off to the needs of the people around us in the church, it might be time to take a step back and to reevaluate what we're really here for. And as we close this morning, I wanted to read verse 27 one more time. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are an individual. I'm an individual. And we've all been given individual gifts, which are meant to be able to live with a certain degree of independence, right? Right? 
That is, after all, part of completing our individual purposes for the body of Christ. But I say with a degree of independence, because if that independence ever supersedes the purposes of Christ or the purposes of the church, we're no longer living for Christ, but we're living for ourselves. Everything that makes you and I uniquely us are the very qualities that we were designed with to fit into a greater organism, to be a part of the body that works together as one. So the very things that make us capable of being independent and unique are also the very things that make us valuable as an asset to a whole, that make our part crucial to be part of the body. On your own, you're an organ. Fully functional, fully capable of completing a task, but not able to survive on your own, not able to sustain life. As one, as a unified whole, we're able to reflect the fullness of God, to be a manifestation of his glory to the world around us. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that we would be one just as he and the Father are one so that the world would know that Christ was truly the Son of God. But that's how valuable our unity as a body is. The church should be an organization that the world looks at and says, how? How does that work? How can there be so many people with so many different differences coexisting? More than coexisting, thriving. When that's the question that people are asking, it's a pretty good indication that we're truly reflecting the power of unity and diversity, that we're truly reflecting the fullness of Christ and Christ's hope to the world. Let's pray. God, you are an amazing God. I can't imagine what life would be like uh, without you. I'm so thankful for the ways that you've created us unique. It'd be so much easier if we were all the same. But I'm thankful for diversity. It brings life. It brings goodness. I pray that as we continue to go through this series and you continue to open our eyes to the gifts that we each have as individuals. I pray that we would see the gifts that we have as a body. That we would know how to come alongside the people next to us. That we'd understand how to lift each other up. That we'd understand that the actions that we take and the use of our gifts is an opportunity to show your goodness, your love, your mercy, your hope to the world. I pray that you continue to use us as individuals and as a church to reach this community of Cadillac. We thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house this morning, God, to worship you and to praise you. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son and everything that he's done with us, making it able to come before you in praise, making it possible to be saved from our sins and to spend eternity with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.